The following podcast is banned in the state of Florida for talking about a dangerous leftist book, the Bible. Like the Bible, this podcast contains frank discussions on sensitive topics, including sex, violence, and cursing. Please proceed with caution. The poor won't be forgotten forever. The hope of those who suffer won't be lost for all time. Get up, Lord. Don't let people prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Strike them with fear, Lord. Let the nations know they are only human. This is the word in black and red. Hello, and welcome to The Word in Black and Red, where we read the Bible from a leftist and liberationist perspective to elucidate the way people of faith and their comrades can understand the Bible as a source of healing, love, and liberation for all people. I am your host, Michael Belong, the wise old llama, and be joined today by the wonderful Josiah Brandeman, Mike Shipley, and Avery Arden. Uh, thank you all so much for being here. Um, Josiah, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, you've been on before, but it's been a little while, so remind folks your political tendency, religious background, and how we can connect with you. Hello, I am Josiah. Uh, you can find me at Church of Christ the Anarchist on Instagram. You can also find my podcast, Pulp, the serial fiction show, every other week, where you can find a veritable, varied, and voracious assortment of original stories in the style of the old pulps. I'm an anarcho-communist, anarcho-syndicalist, or whatever the hell is in between of that, and, and religious affiliation is really more of a pan-Christian. Mike? Sure. So my political tendency, I'm just going to go with anarchist. Yeah, that covers a lot of ground and um, kind of lean into the <laughs> pacifist, nonviolent edge of it. Um, but I totally get you if you want to like stockpile rifles or whatever, like you do you. <laughs> it's all good. Um, as far as religious background, I was raised in an evangelical Nazarene church. Uh, that didn't really resonate with me. So I kind of lost my shit um, for the next 20 years. <laughs> I lived through addiction and um, which was cute. And then I got into recovery and I had to pick up higher power. And I uh, kind of remembered the whole revolutionary side of Jesus. And I was like, that's kind of cool. And then I found my way into liberation theology and that was like super cool. And now I'm hooked. So yeah. um, as far as where you can catch up with me, you can find me on Facebook. Just search out Mike Shipley Anarchist. It's the little multicolored like heart with an A symbol. Um, or you can find my website at MikeShipley.com. And Avery? Yes. Um, yeah, I'm Avery. I use they pronouns. And I will be honest, I am by no means an expert on political terminology. Um, definitely leftist. The people whose political knowledge I deeply respect tend to identify as communist or anarchist. So I definitely resonate with those. It's also really refreshing to be on a podcast um, where it's considered moderate to be somewhere between anarchist and <laughs> communist. So very cool. Um, for religion, I was raised Roman Catholic, but for the past decade or so, I've been on the ordination track in the Presbyterian Church USA. Um, so I consider myself both Catholic and Protestant. Um, I tend to, you know, I'm not Roman Catholic. I'm not affi affiliated with any Catholic institution, but for my personal faith, that's where a lot of what I find deeply important to me kind of lies. And then I also consider myself agnostic um, because even though I am personally devoted to the Trinity and Jesus, I don't presume that my, you know, I don't presume that what I believe is definitely correct. Um, as to where you can find me, I have a podcast where I discuss, you know, queer theology and interview other um, trans people of faith, not just Christians, but any faith, called Blessed Are the Binary Breakers. So if you search for blessedarethebinarybreakers.com, you'll find that podcast. You'll find links to my various social media as well as to my YouTube channel. Um, I also am really passionate about disability theology. You'll find a um, YouTube video series about that. I think that's it. 
one of my dear friends who's an Episcopal priest um, likes to joke that he's a he's not a Roman Catholic, he's a roaming Catholic. Um, like Ooh, he's like roaming that. around as a Catholic. Um, and I might have to steal in, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to find himself in the Episcopal Church to allow him to roam. Um, and the second thing that's, that's very important is, uh, dear friends, I was uh, about to preach on Galatians 3.28, and I was listening to an episode of Blessed Be the Binary Breakers, and and I read that passage again, neither male nor female. And I had this, this epiphany and I went, Oh, that's me right in the middle of there. I'm neither, I'm the one who's neither male nor female. And so this show helped me um, realize I was non-binary and I'm um, just expanding my queerness. So I highly recommend it for everyone, especially if you're not trans, um, the show might make you trans. So just, <laughs> this is the, it's the show that your parents were warning you about. Um, so, <laughs> Oh my gosh, that brings me so much joy. And I'm going to have to add that as a take as a tagline. This show might make you trans. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, friends, we have a wonderful passage of scripture today we're going to be reading. So I'm going to jump right on in. Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land of Canaan, where his father was an immigrant. This is the account of Jacob's descendants. Joseph was 17 years old and tended the flock with his brothers. While he was helping the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, Joseph told their father unflattering things about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was born when Jacob was old. Jacob had made for him a long robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of his brothers, they hated him and couldn't even talk nicely to him. Joseph had a dream and told it to his brothers, which made them hate him even more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. When we were binding stalks of grain in the field, my stalk got up and stood upright while your stalks gathered around it and bowed down to my stalk. His brothers said to him, Will you really be our king and rule over us? So they hated him even more because of the dreams he told them. Then Joseph had another dream and described it to his brothers. I've just dreamed again, and this time the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he described it to his father and brothers, his father scolded him and said to him, What kind of dreams have you dreamed? Am I and your mother and your brothers supposed to come and bow down to the ground in front of you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father took careful note of the matter. Joseph's brothers went to tend their father's flocks near Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Aren't your brothers tending the sheep near Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. And he said, I'm ready. Jacob said to him, Go, find out how your brothers are and how the flock is and report back to me. So Jacob sent him from Hebron Valley when he approached Shechem, a man found him wandering in the field and asked him, What are you looking for? Joseph said, I'm looking for my brothers. Tell me, where are they tending the sheep? The man said, They left here. I heard them saying, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. They saw Joseph in the distance before he got close to them, and they plotted to kill him. The brothers said to each other, Here comes the big dreamer. Come on now. Let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns, and we'll say a wild animal devoured him. Then we will see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard what they said, he saved him from them, telling them, Let's not take his life. Reuben said to them, Don't spill his blood. Throw him into this desert cistern, but don't lay a hand on him. He intended to save Joseph from them and take him back to his father. When Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's long robe, took him and threw him into the cistern, an empty cistern with no water in it. When they sat down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, with camels carrying sweet resin, medicinal resin, and fragrant resin on their way down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What do we gain if we kill our brother and hide his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's not harm him because he's our brother. He's family. His brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they pulled Joseph up out of the cistern. They sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and found that Joseph wasn't in it, he tore his clothes. Then he returned to his brothers and said, The boy's gone, and I, where can I go now? His brothers took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. Then they took the long robe, brought it to their father, and said, We found this. See if it's your son's robe or not. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph must have been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put a simple mourning cloth around his waist, and mourned for his son for many days. 
All of his sons and daughters got up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, telling them, I'll go to my grave mourning for my son. And Joseph's father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold Joseph to the Egyptians, to Potiphar, Pharaoh's chief officer, commander of the royal guard. Okay, so this story is a really deep and meaningful passage that goes, uh, that is really connected to a lot of the rest of the scripture. Uh, but it is sort of the classic story that we hear told uh, when, you know, you hear a children's book a version of this. Uh, this is this is basically the text that they take from, right? That Joseph had these dreams, these delusions of grandeur, right? <laughs> um, or visions of grandeur, uh, depending on how you want to interpret that. And it pisses off his brothers. They send him, they throw him into a well and, uh, and then sell him off into slavery. Um, what are y'all's initial thoughts uh, hearing this story? I think, you know, in my in my experience growing up, it was always fo- there was always a focus on the more prophetic aspect of of Joseph's dreams and how they predicted the future and all of that. And the, I think it, it obscured the more immediate moral of the story, which is not to be a fucking narc. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a good lesson to be learned here. All right, that's it. Pack it up. Leftist take done. No, don't talk to the police. Um, in this case, uh, your dad. Um. <laughs> I actually, I love that you brought that up because I'm going to, um, one thing I love about this podcast is that um, I've noticed it when listening back to episodes that we're allowed to disagree with each other. And yes. like, <laughs> that doesn't mean someone's got to be right and someone's wrong. It's just different interpretations. For me, my interpretation of Joseph telling on their brothers comes from, um, one thing I really want to talk about is Joseph um, through an autistic or neurodivergent lens. Mm. And absolutely, Joseph might just be a like a bratty kid and a tattletale, but I also can't help but see... Um, myself and other friends of mine who, um, when young, you know, adults tell you, if you see something bad, tell a grown-up. And Mm. what they don't tell you is that there are social rules about what's bad enough that it actually needs to be told versus when to keep your mouth shut so people like you. (laughs) And Mm. so for me, (laughs) Joseph is just completely naive and oblivious to the fact that his brothers are getting really, and and not just brothers, but also sort of what is even the word for them? Um, the mothers of his half-brothers are, you know, not happy with him for telling on them about certain things. Um, and we don't know whether what they, you know, what Joseph is telling on them about is really worth telling on. Probably not. Um, but just like this sort of naivety of like, oh, well, I was told I should tell, so I'm going to. And it mm. does it does make him like <laughs> super unpopular. It's also <laughs> not the it's also not the thing that the text at least says that the brothers hate him for what the brothers hate him for is just that he's loved by Joseph, which Mm. I mean, is loved by Jacob and it makes them hate him because there can, there's this, this economy of like, you know, the scarcity of love to go around in the sort of system in which they live. So if Joseph is loved, it must mean that they're loved less. Um, And I actually only just noticed this now as I was listening, I was looking at the Hebrew and, looked up the word for hate um, that it says the brothers hate Joseph. And that same word for hate is actually used in Genesis 29, 31 to describe how Jacob hates Leah. Uh, Mm. I usually see it translated as, and Leah was unloved. You know, Rachel's the loved one and Leah is unloved, but it's actually this word hate. Mm. And that just makes me so sad. Like uh, the, the cycle of, you know, there has to be one who's loved and therefore everyone else is hated. And, it's replaying in this generation. Yeah. I love that version so much more because it kind of reinforces that through line of the last shall be first and the, and God working through those that are cast aside and misunderstood and in, in any possible way ostracized and, and quote unquote abnormal. And it, and it adds so much more to to the part of the story when when the brothers come um, during the famine. Um, it, it that interpretation adds so much more depth to the story. 
Yeah, I like that too. That is actually, I had not, I've been so hyper-focused on bringing this sort of like queer theological analysis and I've got plenty of notes, so I'll drop a little <laughs> bit now um, that I yes. didn't really catch other lenses that we could look through. So I'm really excited that others have brought that tonight. I, and you know, you're asking for our initial thoughts. I don't know that I could give quote an initial thought because now I've done this deep dive. <laughs> like, I don't remember what I thought of this story before. Um, yeah. but I just want to put a pin <laughs> in two things. Um, I didn't really do a full, cause we're not here to talk about Jacob tonight, but just remember that he was like the mama's boy in the family. Right. So we have yeah. probably the father is already like an affinity for a potentially queer son. Yep. And then I found out something new and interesting. There is a midrash on Genesis 30 which is when there was a prophecy that the 12 tribes of Israel would be issuing from Jacob. Right. And so as uh, which one of them is pregnant, she says to herself, if this child will be a male, my sister, Rachel, okay, this is Leah saying this will not be equal to one of the enslaved women. Cause I guess one of the, some enslaved women, pardon me, I was rushing through this. So I don't have this story. It's confusing. <laughs> anyway, these rabbis came up with this idea that the moment she had this desire for her sister to bear a child that would make her equal to these enslaved women, that the genders and the being were switched. It says, before God, mm. Leah's prayer was heard and the fetuses were switched in their wombs. Joseph was placed in Rachel's womb and Dinah in the womb of Leah. Certainly, this means mm. that Joseph's body in Leah's womb was transformed into a female, while Dinah's body in Rachel's womb was transformed into a male, and their souls were transferred from each womb to the other. So, mm. the whole point of putting a pin in that is like the idea of Joseph as a queer character, or at least as a gender variant character, is like deeply encoded into the history of understanding this passage. So, that is important when I start claiming Absolutely. that he's like wearing makeup and all this other stuff that we're going to get to soon. <laughs> absolutely. And we, we are absolutely going to get to that. I just want to jump back to Avery's point here on, on love and the way that love is contrasted with hate, right? Is that the first time that we see love in the Bible is a reference to, uh, is a reference to Isaac, Abraham, the son that you love, right? Which is in contrast to Ishmael, right? Mm. The Ishmael, Ishmael, the older son that he'd already had, right? So again, it is favoring the one, the one that you love, rather than your firstborn son, and rather than all the other kids that you end up having with the wives that come after Sarah, right? And then we have Isaac, right, is this guy who just keeps weeping and weeping because his mom is dead. And then he, and then Rebecca comes in and he replaces his mom with Rebecca, right? And so, like, Isaac is already not typecasted into, at least in our modern American concept of toxic, toxic masculinity. He's not the toughest guy out there, right? <laughs> he's vulnerable. He's emotional, right? Uh, and for good reason. His dad tried to kill him, and then his mom died because of it. And, you know, and so, like, there's, there's good reason for Isaac to not be the most well-adjusted. But I think he also is a queer-coded character, right? And then he has Jacob and Esau, right? And I think what Isaac is doing is what a lot of homophobic pastors do— denying the fact that they themselves are queer by so denouncing the other ones, right? I think Isaac is over-exaggerating and choosing Esau because Esau is the tough, big, burly man who's described as dirty and hairy and red because the implication being because he's out hunting so much that, you know, he's getting the blood on his skin and all these other things, um, as well as being a redhead, which had all its own associations in the ancient Near East, right? Versus Jacob, who is this little kid who stays back and hangs out with his mom and and you know his mom ends up figuring everything out because he's her little boy and so takes care of her right and so Jacob is this gender non-conforming character and Jacob is said to love Rachel and hate Leah right and then go on to love Joseph uh, who is this other kid who I think very much so is described as queer in the story. So, Mike and Avery, please tell me all about Joseph, the queer yes. icon. <laughs> um, before talking about Joseph, because absolutely favorite topic of, of queer <laughs> Joseph, but to talk a little more about what you were just saying about the queer uh, ancestors of Joseph, right? All these um figures beforehand and again like just the the cycles that keep happening over and over um 
first of all, the the negative cycle, the the one that's doing so much of the harm in Genesis of the need to have only one male heir, this primogeniture mm-hmm. stuff, where like that's the reason there has to be a favorite and everyone else is just kind of tossed to the wayside and it causes all this contention over and over again. The book of Genesis is extremely clear that wealth always leads to the separation of families. Like, it is consistent time and time and time again. It starts in the very beginning, right? With Abraham, Abraham and Lot separate in Genesis 13, 6, and 9 because of the wealth that they share. They had so many possessions between them that the land couldn't support both of them. And they separate, and they never see each other again. Abraham is permanently cut off from his previous heir, Lot, because they have so much wealth, right? And And that begins the problem of Abraham needing to have a kid. And then it goes on that Sarah sends Ishmael away because, she says, send the servant away with her son. The servant's son won't share the inheritance with my son Isaac, right? It is, again, a selfishness over the wealth of this family that splits them apart. Of course, Jacob steals his brother's birthright in Genesis 25, um, saying, sell me your birthright today. The birthright is a double portion. Um, the firstborn son is supposed to get twice as much inheritance. Or, or sorry, if you have, you know, if you have uh, two kids, then it's split into three portions. The first kid gets two of the portions. The other kid gets a third, right? And when I say kid, I mean male, right? A son. And so Jacob steals the inheritance and goes from having one portion to two portions, which splits up at their family um, by making Esau want to get to kill him, right? <laughs> and then they split up again in Genesis 36 because just like Abraham and Lot, they had so many possessions that they couldn't live together. The land where they lived as immigrants couldn't support all of their livestock. So again, they're separated and Edom, uh, the descendants of Esau, become the immortal enemies of Israel, so much so that King Solomon enslaves them and forces them to build the temple. And in return, they celebrate when Babylon conquers Israel instead of uniting with Israel to resist Babylonian oppression. And so Obadiah writes an entire fucking book about how terrible the Edomites are because they were separated because of the wealth that happens here in, the, in Genesis 36. And then we go on to Joseph, which I'm not going to spoil too much for our listeners, but my hot take on Joseph is that Joseph's pursuit of power under Pharaoh is what results in Pharaoh owning all of the land, and when the people have no land to sell Pharaoh, they sell themselves, and when the people are all being sold to Pharaoh, that that results in the Hebrew people being enslaved and results in 400 years of slavery because Joseph did what? Pursued wealth and power instead of the love of his family. Oh, shit. And why would Joseph pursue wealth and power? Like, what in this story would prompt someone to pursue wealth and power, particularly over people who wanted to kill him and throw him in an empty cistern? What What could that possibly be about? Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> but then there, there's also this, for me, more positive this 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 queerness that keeps coming up over and over. You brought up Jacob. I also wanted to bring up Rebecca. Um, and connect her both to, like you said, like that, the fact that Rebecca chooses Jacob as the favorite, I think she is queer and sees queerness in Jacob. And then it goes into the cycle of Jacob sees queerness in Joseph. Mm -hmm. Um, but the reason for Rebecca is a pretty small thing, but in her story, at one point she is called Na'ar, which is typically the masculine word for like a young person, like a youth. Um, so usually it means young man or boy, but it's used for Rebecca instead of the feminine form. And I kind of read that, and I actually got this from a book by Chris Page um, called Otherwise Christian, but um, they suggest that um, it's sort of like the concept of a tomboy in our day where Rebecca has masculine like uh, traits that her society would consider masculine, and you're expected to outgrow it. It's permitted in youth, but you're supposed to outgrow it. We see the same thing with Joseph here. Joseph is also called Na'ar in verse Mm. 2 in the Hebrew. Um, It calls Joseph this word for boy or or youth. At age 17, Joseph shouldn't be Na'ar anymore. He should be a grown man. Um, Why is the Hebrew calling him a little boy, like a boy, an (laughs) adolescent? and a Jewish midrash from around the 400s CE, um, the Bereshit Rabbah, um, explains th- their reasoning for it is that um, 
well, he does boyish things, um, mm-hmm. which I'm pretty sure, Mike, that you might have seen too, because I you you mentioned makeup. Um, this midrash says that Joseph would pencil his eyes, lift his heel, curl his hair. Um, mm. But yeah, again, this idea that okay, boys can get away with this kind of unmanly behavior, but they're supposed to grow out of it, and Joseph isn't growing out of it. And again, for me, that's that's not that's definitely queer, but it's also um, autistic. Um, mm. My friend Laura Summer and I actually have talked about this on their podcast, the Autistic Liberation Theology Podcast. Um, mm. We look at Joseph through a neuroqueer lens, so combining the queer and the neurodivergent. Um, and because they're so um, entangled for a lot of autistic trans folks and also f- for us like in reading Joseph, that um, stuff we look at that are, is queer is also very neurodivergent. <laughs> Joseph as Nair, as a boy, as a boy man, right? Um, and there are these interesting midrash about uh, how that happens. Mike, please... Please tell me all about Joseph's makeup because I need a better makeup routine and I'm hoping the Bible can provide it. Uh, <laughs> I'll just read what the, the Midrash, Midrash says. Well, let me just read this out loud so that you can hear in the, in the words of the own ancient scholar what they said. It says, mm-hmm. he was 17 years old, yet you say he was like a youth. It means, however, that he behaved like a boy, penciling his eyes, lifting his heels, and curling his hair. And then another one writes, uh, the rabbis of the Midrash throw youthful like a pejorative and come for, I guess this is modern commentary on the Midrash, um, and come for Yosef's high maintenance grooming habits, saying he touched up his eyes, he picked up his heels, he fixed his hair. But instead of succeeding in dragging Yosef and leading us to believe his femininity was shameful, the rabbis seem to be jealous of Yosef's ability and use his gender presentation as a fabulous display of wealth and power. They were jealous of his makeup routine. They were jealous of his makeup. And you know what came to me? Sometimes like modern <laughs> modern slang comes to me to like swap in. Like, you know, like boy, like with an I, <laughs> B-O-I. That's what's coming yeah. to me here. It's like a like a Ooh. like a queer boyish kind of like he's he's grown up, but he's mm-hmm. still a boy. He's like a twink kind of thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, he's a twink. He is, he's such a twink. But listen, <laughs> can I interject one quick comment about the lifting his heel thing? Yes. The the part for me. So I uh, this is part of the neuro queer element to me that um, my mm. friend Laura pointed out first that lifting his heel like does that mean Joseph's walking with like a sachet? Maybe, or it, it could also sound like something a lot of autistic people do, which is toe walking. A lot of us walk on our toes for some reason. And so again, just this, like, I don't know what it means for Joseph to be walking with a lifted heel, but I see this sort of very neuroqueer way of moving that I enjoy. <laughs> and to make it a little more queer as another alternative possible interpretation, right? We remember that feet is often a euphemism for penis in throughout oh, the Bible. Shoot. And so like, you know, and our our language has a uh, he's light in his shoes, right? Um, metaphor that was an indication that someone was gay, right? It could be similar to that, right? He's lifting his heel. He's uh, maybe he's tucking. Um, maybe that's what he's what they're trying to say. Um, and so, like you know, maybe Joseph is doing a little bit more than just uh, a feminine femboy thing. Maybe Joseph is experimenting uh, with a trans identity here. Oh, I love that. That's fascinating. I love that too. This Dr. Robert Harris, he found, so he looked into, I guess there's some commentary from the 14th century, and there are certain medieval texts that uh, preserve, like, language that isn't necessarily, we don't have an ancient source, so we don't know for sure, uh, but there's certainly, like, language, biblical language that's recorded in their writings that... um, we don't have earlier sources, but we have that source, right? Anyway, um, that passage, he was a lad with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, the sons of the handmaid. And this is not, so the same the same place where we're just getting the boy, the, the femboy part, this person found it to, they wrote, the sons of the handmaidens would kiss him and embrace him, right? So the handmaidens of, of Bilma and Zilpah. And he goes on to say, of course, you know, we obviously don't have an original source, so we don't know if they're embellishing it. But um, he found an example um, in another ancient text. And I'm not going to read it because I can't even pronounce it. 
Um, but that particular idiom there, and this is what triggered me to say this now, because you talked about the idiom, um, like that phrase is clearly like idiomatically queer coded, like whatever it's saying there, it's establishing like an essential plot point, like Joseph's queerness and his hotness are important <laughs> plot points for what happens later with Potiphar's wife and everything else. Mm. Absolutely. And Absolutely. told that story in a much different light as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think the thing that like, I love all of this conversation, but somebody is going to come and say, well, that's all Midrash. But the thing that is a lot more obvious here is in verse three, um, when I, when Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, Jacob had made for him a long robe. And the long robe is really the word here that that opens up this queer interpretation to us. Everything else is um, is there. It's absolutely in the in the text, I think. But the long robe is the thing that makes it, it really obvious. So yes, so yeah, the Hebrew, the ketanet pasim. Yes, that really is the smoking gun, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, just just hear the word. Avery, say it again, and just hear how queer that sounds. Ketonet pasim. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Avery, do you want to tell the story? Yeah. So the Hebrew here, the first word ketonet is fairly common throughout the Hebrew Bible. It just means a coat or a robe of some kind. It's um, the combination with the other, the second word, pasim, which makes it really rare. Um, Those two words are only used together like this one other time in the Bible. And that's all the way in 2 Samuel 13, verse 18, when King David's daughter Tamar is described as wearing a ketanet pasim. And um, in that verse, this garment, apparently by that time, or by the time of those authors, this garment was rare enough that they needed to include a little detail about what it was, because they add, this is how the virgin daughters of the king were clothed in earlier times. So Mm. basically, this is a princess dress. Um, (laughs) What what Jacob gives to Joseph is a a feminine royalty-coded outfit. And I also think it's important to note that Tamar is also the victim of horrific violence by siblings, by her half-brother. She is raped. And Joseph is also, you know, uh, treated violently by their brothers and then later threatened with sexual violence. I don't know that the authors intentionally had that tie there, but to me there's this connection, at least in my mind, I think of these two characters in their their beautiful robes being treated so horrifically. One of my thoughts, and if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh my gosh, you're just like trying to make everything queer, you social justice, you have to, you can't take anything. You can now you have to steal the Bible from this too. Like, take a breath. Yes. <laughs> it's really important that everyone who's made in the image of the creator is able to see themselves in the text. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that like we're stealing Joseph and he belongs to us now, but I am saying that it is a major plot point in this story and like on a personal level, I just want to tell you how like electrified with joy I felt when I first heard about Joseph's princess dress, like just that phrase leaped out on the first podcast I ever heard of it. Like I, you know, like my soul just soared with like, Oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. once you realize what it says there, like it's undeniable. And I was Once you see it, you can't unsee it. You really can't unsee yeah. it. And I was laughing because I when I was preparing for this, I noticed there was a footnote in my my like digital study Bible. And I, like I wonder what it says. And I tapped it. It, it says, right, oh, scholars are still uncertain as to the meaning of this phrase. And I was just like laughing out loud. Like they are so in denial because they're <laughs> it's just not really you you can't. Like, I'm sorry, but yeah. there is a queer character of the Bible, at least one. And it's Joseph. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I love that you bring that up because the 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 stealing stealing the Bible from them and and the accusation of you know trying to force it into the Bible because there is a like the, I think the first thing that anyone would uh, some queerphobic troglodyte would say about this <laughs> would say would, they would say oh well. The rainbow is a is a modern representation of queer culture, so it can't like we're we're 
projecting that onto the onto the text and they and they might be right about that but they're not they can't say anything <laughs> about um the long robe the the brothers kissing him and and everything else i can't escape this this image of the cycle of queer folks recognizing other queer folks like we were talking about um was it rachel recognizing jacob and jacob recognizing joseph rebecca rebecca and the, the only person that we see in the story, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, affirming his sexuality, which adds so much more depth to not just Joseph being his favorite, but when he loses him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that pain becomes so much more real than just yeah. him losing his favorite. Because you could say that that he sees himself in in Joseph and that and that potential, that future of of him realizing his sexuality is is gone as well i agree with that i also have heard and um it suggested that joseph's princess dress might have been belonged to rachel so joseph's mom who died giving birth to joseph's younger brother benjamin jacob's favorite wife the one he loved so she's dead what he has left of her is this beautiful robe and he gives it to joseph and so then when the brothers come back after doing this terrible, violent thing to Joseph and and show Jacob this bloodied robe. Not only is he losing Joseph, like who, like you said, he has this deep queer connection to, but it's also it's also a connection to his beloved wife that he loses. Just so much loss um, because of this violence, because of this need to, because of whatever it was in, that the brothers feared about Joseph whatever threat they saw in Joseph. And I love that like there's an ability to recognize even in, in the, the Sunday school heteronormative uh, telling of this, it still focuses on the rope as, Mm -hmm. as the, the, the important piece, right? The symbolic piece, which is still true in the correct. I'm going to, I'm going to say correct interpretation um, because it's still it's this it's the symbolic affirmation of his sexuality, right? It's the symbolic affirmation of who he is, um, and it's still integral to the story. And it doesn't, and that's not changed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On that topic, like y'all saying, like people who are mad at us for stealing the Bible by making it queer, my like like y'all were saying, like even even if sure, okay. Pretend I agree that everyone in Genesis, that Jacob and Joseph and everyone were perfectly cis and heterosexual, which I don't. But if they were, it would still be a queer story because we have this constant cycle of the status quo, the, this need for wealth, this need for just one son to inherit the wealth, um, the status quo being the thing that causes harm, and these figures who are meant to be outcasts being the one that God lifts up. God choosing the outcasts is is queer. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> even if it's not, even if the characters themselves aren't LGBT plus in our modern lingo, it's still a queer story. Although I doubt that, like, this will be any of our listeners' first episode. If it is, hi. Um, but uh, <laughs> but we're thirty seven chapters into Genesis, and we've talked about the queerness of this book over and over and over again. But more importantly, we have shown, I think pretty dramatically, that every story in the book of Genesis just has this liberation theology behind it. This whole book is liberatory in so many ways. And no, it is not we who are stealing this book. It is we who are reading this book and realizing that our liberation was there the whole time and it was stolen by a world who wants to condemn us for who we are, right? It's stolen by a world who wants to see us as lesser, who are threatened by the fact that this book that is supposed to be the thing that guides their life, teaches a liberation that they cannot live up to, that honestly none of us can live up to, right? But at least those of us on the left are trying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I wanted to continue this thought of uh, what are they threatened by, right? And the queerphobic passages of the Bible, um, first off, you know, to to whoever wants my interpretation of the clobber passages, I don't think that the clobber passages say what you think they do in modern English translations. I have read the Hebrew and the Greek, and I I just don't agree that that's what some of them mean. Even if they did, I don't think that they're talking about homosexuality as it is understood in our modern 
different context. Even if I did, then <laughs> what they're seeing and what they're actually condemning is in their society, abusive sexual ethics, right? And that's what they're condemning, right? It's pretty clear, especially Leviticus 18.22, right? That is a passage that's talking about don't have sex with your relatives and also don't have male sex. So either that's telling us don't sleep with any men and suddenly the whole of humanity dies out because no one's sleeping with men and um <laughs> or maybe only only non-binary people and um and trans women are the perpetrators of our society um or uh, <laughs> or more likely it means don't sleep with your male relatives just like i told you not to sleep with your female relatives for the past 21 verses right by the um, way this is loophole yeah, yeah. There's there's no loophole here. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, this is one neat trick. So anyway, but but here in this story, right? The thing, sorry, in the book in in the New Testament in particular, what Paul is seeing in Greek society is typically older men abusing younger men, right? And it not being a good relationship. And what is feared in homosexuality of that kind, right, is the powerful dominating and oppressing the lesser, right? And so here in this story, we see something that is just so common in homophobia today as well, right? What if the gay kid was the one above us, right? What if mm-hmm. the gay kid was the one with power over us? What if the gay kid was the active, the active partner? You know, what if we are all bottoms? And that's something that people have been afraid of for at least 4,000 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, between that and also the, you know, arguments that gays cause natural disasters or that yeah. trans people are somehow <laughs> destroying society, just this considering queerness a threat when we're literally just you know vibing living our lives and also trying to make (laughs) life a little freer for everybody else you're welcome yeah i'm so sorry i want you to have health care i'm so sorry i want (laughs) you to live a better life it's you know fuck me for wishing you well Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah or like in joseph's future future um joseph is going to um in a way save the world from famine Again, you're welcome. But yeah. <laughs> fuck me for saving your lives. Sorry. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> Just to kind of like reinforce um, that not only is his queerness an important plot point, but as a figure, Joseph is an important pivot point in the larger story, right? So like this isn't just like he was accidentally queer and, and that's how he got through the Potiphar's wife thing, right? Because he didn't, you know, like it's God made it like that. So, mm. you know, God's hand is at work in creating us to be, you know, like the whole born this way argument, I guess is what I would say. Um, <laughs> mm. Like what this story is showing us is it's deeper than like, oh, queer people claiming, you know, like, you know this bizarre interpretation. No, actually God did that. Mm. And it's recorded yes. in the story. So who are you to question the master's work kind of thing? <laughs> yeah. I agree Amen. with you that like Joseph's queerness isn't just a fun fact. It's not incidental that Joseph being queer or otherwise sort of, for me again, like neurodivergent, that Joseph, the way Joseph thinks, the way Joseph is a dreamer mm. is this different way of being that is what allows them to um you know spoilers for future episodes but but again like um recognize a famine is coming and do something about it that that's that's baked into joseph being other um being able to think and dream differently and that's the kind of like creativity that queer folk and neurodivergent folk and people indigenous people people of color um bring to the world Again, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's talk about that dreaming, right? Um, so he has these two dreams that just really establish a pattern throughout his dreaming, right? It starts off with the stalks of grain and um, that stand upright. And this is going to be repeated in Pharaoh's dream later on uh, with the the dreams of cows, some uh some well-fed cows that are then swallowed up by these skinny cows, and then these grains of these grains of wheat that are healthy that are then swallowed up by these unhealthy grains of wheat. Um, and so here it 
sort of sets the mood uh, for that for that later story that these stalks of grain are are bound up and then uh, go around each other. Um, the thing that's interesting to me in this story is that the stalks of grain are equals, right? <laughs> and um, like there there isn't something inherent about one stalk of grain that's going to be bigger or better than the other stalks of grain that they're finding here. Um, and yet we have this image of they all gathered around and bowed down to to the stalk. Talk to me more about this dream. Talk to me more about these dreamers, how, how neurodivergency plays into, uh, into these dreams. Well, one thing to me is, again, it's similar to the fact that um, Joseph being a tattletale, like, again, Joseph seems pretty naive here where, like, Joseph's just like, oh, hey, I had these dreams, and it's the brothers and Jacob who interpret it at this point. Joseph's just, like, it's, it kind of feels like, and this is, this is more, like, sacred imagination. This isn't, you could read the text differently, but for me, it seems like Joseph is just casually mentioning a dream without realizing how the brothers are going to take it mm. and use it against them. Um, and again, it a little bit feels like, as a queer person being like, hey, this is the way, like, this is how I envision gender and everyone being like, oh, so you, you hate that I'm a woman. You hate that I'm, a, you know, like you want, <laughs> you want to turn us all trans. I'm like, well, maybe a little bit, but no, not really. You know, like just this idea that like we might bring something up, have this creativity in these dreams and everyone else is interpreting it as something threatening. <laughs> And to be fair to the brothers, in this case, they do, you know, in this case, we do know that this is sort of where the story is headed. But yeah. but at this point, Joseph doesn't seem to be, you know, that's not where Joseph's coming from. Yeah. But you know what wouldn't have caused this dream to come true? If they hadn't gotten threatened by it in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he tells this story that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I certainly wouldn't hear that dream and go, oh yeah, you think you're better than us? Like, you know, it's <laughs> it's like <laughs> our grain got together and and it bowed down to my grain instead of to your grain. Like, okay, that's a weird dream. Um, maybe it means something. I wouldn't necessarily to jump to, oh, you're going to be king? Yeah, screw you. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then, you know, causing you to hate in your heart so much that you sell him off into slavery. And that begins the journey to which he becomes basically Pharaoh's right hand, right? Yeah. <laughs> which also, why would they be threatened? Mm -hmm. Which goes back to your early point of wealth separating families. You could argue that they, they're threatened because Joseph is the favorite and therefore is a contender for the, the birthright. But without that potential of wealth separating families like that, they would have no need to be threatened. Yeah. I also love that there's this switcheroo where I love that you mentioned that uh, the brothers are, are the interpreters here. Like jo Joseph's just like telling the dreams, like, hey, check out this freaky dream I had. Um, and they're the interpreters. <laughs> which is then reversed later in prison when Joseph is the interpreter of dreams. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like Joseph has grown into their power by that point, in, into their ability to interpret by that point, but they're not there yet. Yeah. It's also interesting to me, Jacob's response at this point to Joseph's dreams, that like we, we've talked about how Jacob loves Joseph, Jacob favors Joseph, and yet Jacob is scolding him. It says in verse 10, his father scolded him and said, what kind of dreams have you dreamed? But then it says in verse 11, his father took careful note of the matter. It seems like Jacob is both like, hey, you like remember your place you are a younger brother but also i'm gonna kind of reflect on what this could mean i don't know it's it's an, an i don't i i would love to know what exactly is going on in jacob's head with this response going back to jacob's queerness recognizing joseph's queerness i almost see that as a like hey like like we know but that reminds me of um uh in autistic self-advocacy other groups might also use this phrase but i know it from autistic groups um there's a phrase be your child's first ally not their first mm. bully where mm. when you start recognizing something different about them say autism or yeah queerness um your your first response might be to be scared for their future to try to repress that in them because you know that others will respond poorly. Yeah. But that's not the right response. Jake, like Jacob no. scolding Joseph isn't going to make the problem go away. 
Jacob needs to be supportive. Jacob needs to be an ally um, or be in solidarity with Joseph um, instead of being like, hey, why are you like, like, remember your place. Yeah. And his failure to do that, his failure to be that advocate, um, an ally contributes to the problem. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and to be clear, the problem is not the queerness. The problem is mm-hmm. how other people respond to the queerness, right? I just want to make yeah. that abundantly clear for anyone who might misinterpret that. The problem is not the difference. The problem is how people respond to the difference, right? Yes. And there's nothing Thank wrong you. with having an autistic child. There's nothing wrong with having a child who is queer. There's nothing wrong with having a child with a disability or a difference or whatever sort of language you want to have around these things, the problem is the ways that the world fails to love them because of that difference. And that is pretty consistently the message of, of Christ. So Joseph has this flamboyant side, right? And then like God as a character not being mentioned here, but whose hand is at work. And like, mm. I love the way, like the first dream is kind of like stalks of wheat. Okay. Kind of like you mentioned, but the, the, like, I guess that didn't do it. So we're going to double down. And now it's going to be the sun and the moon and the stars that are bowing down. Like that is a significant <laughs> escalation in the grandiosity and like the boldness of the claim. And uh, like, it's kind of funny because then like, that's when the dad's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So the sun and the moon, like, it's just, uh, I know, you know, we got to make this big, like Broadway, like musical style. Like, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> I love that for them. It's just, you know, and, and of course that gets him in trouble. Cause now they're like, oh my God, you have to die. Yeah. You have to die. <laughs> it was one thing when you oh thought you were better than us. It was one thing when you were queer, but now you think you're better than us and you're queer too much, <laughs> too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very entertaining. <laughs> very entertaining. Yeah. I like I like that image of God upping the drama because <laughs> people might be slow to get yes. Look, God is just a sassy bitch. This is one of my main mm. contentions in theology. Is that <laughs> is that God just has an attitude and she can't put up with us sometimes. <laughs> and so she just does shit that, you know, is over the top. I mean, yes. you know, putting a rainbow in the sky. Okay, God, I see you. Um. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Fantastic. And that is a great stopping point for the first part of our wonderful two-part series on this episode. So important and all of the connections that we'll make in the next part to what goes on later on in the story uh, that thematically, you know, maybe should be its own episode on a whole bunch of topics, but (laughs) but we will see it in part two. I highly recommend it, Uh, but I hope that this is divided up in such a way that you can just send this link or just the next one to someone who's curious about Christian anarchism, about Christian leftism, and the ways in which we read these stories as clearly queer and clearly relating to the larger story of Christianity and what we are obligated to do as people of faith by a God who calls us to justice. And thank you to Mike, Avery, and Josiah for being a part of this episode. Thank you to listeners for making it an amazing uh, experience to be able to be a part of this. Now, Pastor Micah, take it away. Thank you, future Micah. And of course, you, our wonderful listener. Together, we have made a wonderful and growing community on Discord that I look forward to being a part of every day. Your generous support on Patreon has already greatly increased the quality of our podcast, including this very outro. As an extra little thank you, you can get episodes early along with a bunch of other cool perks. Please follow the link in the show notes to join our Discord, Patreon, and all of the other things mentioned throughout this episode. If you would like to reach me directly, you can reach me through the Discord or by email at thewordinblackandred at gmail.com. Now, future Micah, say the profound shit. And thank you, past Micah. Now go, and dare to dream the dreams of who you are, and who together we all will be. Shalom. Shalom.